you know, without, um, without fail, one of the highlights of my weeks, and this probably sounds kind of lame, but one of the highlights of my weeks is, is walking to the mailbox to check the mail. Who else likes checking mail? Wow, like everybody likes checking mail. That's good. You know, there's just something about opening up the box and, and seeing a stack of envelopes. Hopefully it's not bills, but seeing a stack of envelopes or packages that just brings a smile to my face. Uh, you know, one particular regular correspondence that brings a smile to my face is the monthly update that I received from my friend Braden, who is a native to Bismarck and a recent graduate of the University of Jamestown. I first met Braden about four years ago following a Sunday morning church service, and he was eager to grow in his relationship with Christ and was looking for someone to disciple him, and it just so happened that I was looking for someone to disciple. Uh, so Braden and I, we began meeting uh, once every two weeks at Caribou Coffee back in 2019. Well, actually, back in 2017 when Caribou Coffee was still open where you could sit at it. Um, and we would read scripture together, and we would work through the challenges that he faced in campus ministry. And although young and inexperienced in matters of ministry, I was frequently blown away by Braden's humility and his sense of self in relation to the call that Jesus had placed on his life. You know, he just got what it meant to be a follower of Christ, and he found so much joy in living for Jesus and for the gospel that was encouraging. You know, shortly thereafter, Braden's good buddy Alex started joining us for prayer and discipleship. And these two young men were such a joy to be around. One was very gifted at elaborating on the beauty of Christ, while the other used few words to cut to the heart of the cost involved in proclaiming Christ as king in our post-Christian culture. You know, guys, I think that the, the feeling from me to them and them to me was mutual, but I so much enjoyed spending time with, with both of those guys. Their youthful exuberance and their devotion to the Lord was contagious. And if I'm honest, it had been quite a long time since I had experienced people living out the gospel while actually having fun doing it. And to see these two faithful servants of Jesus growing in their knowledge of the word and living out that knowledge was such a joy. You know, truthfully, it was a bittersweet moment when Braden and Alex graduated from college and moved out of Jamestown. It's bitter that we're no longer able to meet in person uh, with one another, but it's sweet in that both of these men have set aside their lucrative mechanical engineering careers to follow God's leading. And today, Braden and Alex are part of a small team that has been called and commissioned to launch the first ever crew, which is formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, program at the University of Kansas. Yes, going to the mailbox and finding a letter postmarked Lawrence, Kansas brings this smile to my face because of the positive cultural imprint that these two young men have left as gospel witnesses. Uh, friends, today we're going to be looking at the book of 2 John, so actually the entire book of 2 John since it's relatively short. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, would you stand as we read uh, God's Word. I'm going to be reading from the, the ESV, the English Standard Version, this morning. John writes, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. 
I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. He finishes with, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I have hoped to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You can be seated. So the author of this letter is, is the Apostle John. It's the, the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. And although the recipient here, as we see in verse 1, refers to uh, uh, the elect lady and her children, John is not writing to some anonymous Christian woman. Rather, he is writing to a local congregation. And John's letter can be broken down into two different parts. The practical purpose of the epistle in verses 4 through 6 is to encourage believers to keep walking in obedience to Christ by obeying the Father's commandments, particularly in the way of mutual love. And the apostles' reason for wanting to see this local congregation built up in truth and love is because, as we just read in verses 7 through 11, is that many deceivers have gone out into the world who are spreading lies about who Jesus is. You see, John, he issues a stern warning to believers so that we do not cave into the cultural lies that have begun to spread like gangrene. John Stott says that in this central section of the epistle is a succinct summary of those contrasts between truth and lies, the church and the world, Christ and Antichrist, the commandments of God, and the deceptions of the devil. So, That kind of transitions us into our our first point, which is simple, but yet not simple as we live it out, practically speaking, is to keep walking in the truth. In John 4, which we just read, John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. You see, John is not pointing out that only some are walking in the truth, while others are not, but he wants the church to know how encouraged he was to interact with some who do actually walk in the truth. See, presumably some members of the church had visited him, and John was so pumped to see them living in the faith that he took this opportunity to spur on that entire congregation to walk in the light of the gospel. You know, one of my favorite things about our church, about Buffalo City Church, is that there are so many of you that are walking in the truth. You know, honestly, whenever people ask me, what, what church do you belong to, Kalen? Are you part of a certain church here in Jameson? I, I love to tell that I'm a member of Buffalo City Church because so many of you don't just talk the talk of the faith, but you walk the walk. 
I like the way that John Stott says to walk in the truth includes both believing it, especially the central truth of the incarnation, and obeying it, seeking to conform our lives to it. And conforming the truth of God's word into our lives is hard, right? I mean, it's super hard. It's not what we're it's not what we're prone to do. It's not what our, our flesh wants us to do. In fact, it's this impossible task that without the power of God's spirit, constant guidance and his constant redirection of our hearts and minds, we're going to continually fail. You know, as I was preparing this sermon, I really felt God's spirit impressing on me to encourage our church, his people. So with that, I want to say that I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of all of you. And I know that the leadership of Buffalo City Church is proud of you. I'm so grateful that that you follow the Lord's commandments that are laid out in Scripture. You, the people of Buffalo City Church, in so many ways, you live out the responsibility that you have to the gospel, not by simply believing it, but by obeying it. And I see this being played out in many ways that you care for one another through faithful attendance at your community groups. Um, I experience this in the way that you dialogue with one another before and after service on how to best raise your children to fear and serve the Lord while at the same time training them to engage non-Christians with the gospel. I see you obeying the Lord by the way that you show up to shovel dirt in 95 degree heat for two hours and the way that you provide meals for the sick, and the way you provide meals for people that have just had children. I was telling Sarah that uh, we should really consider adopting another child so that Darlene Carlson can make more pork chops for us. I'm not a big fan of pork chops, but she's helped me change my mind on that. You know, friends, it's it's quite possible to be walking in the truth, but, but going about it in the wrong way. In verse 5, John says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. You see, the love that John is speaking of here is not simply an emotional feeling, but rather one that takes an active role in caring for the needs of others. John tells us that we can know what genuine looks like in 1 John chapter 3, where he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for his brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You see, in closely related to this passage of 1 John chapter 3 is, 2 John, verse 6, uh, which says, And this is love that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So closing our hearts toward others lies directly in opposition to the type of love that the Father has commanded us to display. You know, friends, when we close our hearts towards one another, we reject the love that the Father has commanded us to have for them. 
You know, this, of course, can take several different forms, but often it looks like Christians refusing, sometimes at all costs, to accommodate the needs of others. As believers, we, we love this biblical concept of thinking more highly of others than ourselves, but when serving involves us having to rearrange our schedules, we dig in our heels and we let the, let the excuses start to fly. You know, this is not okay. It's not okay to make excuses when people are in need and we're able to help. This is sin that needs to be repented of and turned from so that we can be healed. You know, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we hear, in essence, the same exhortation and the same challenge. Love one another and make disciples. Yet time and time again, we fail to fulfill this mission. And the reason that we, and I'm definitely including myself, so I'm not pointing fingers, I'm, I guess I'm pointing them at everyone, myself included, that we do not nearly do this as well as we ought is because our motivation has been misdirected. I. Howard Marshall, who's a, a theologian, says, love expresses itself in following the divine guidelines. At the same time, merely to keep the commands out of a sense of duty or constraint or fear of punishment is not true love. Love means obedience from the heart and true concern for the good of others. Friends, if, I guess to put it in practical terms, if, if loving someone well means dinner doesn't get started on time or the kids, the kids end up going to bed 45 minutes late, then later than normal, well, so be it. It's not the end of the world, right? You see, the Father doesn't provide escape clauses for us to push the pause button on loving one another if it gets in the way of taking our kids to the Splash Park or to Thunder Road in Fargo? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you this morning to cancel next weekend's camping trip, to spend time with a neighbor who is grieving, or a coworker that is on the break of a mental breakdown? Perhaps it's someone that you would rather not be around because they talk too much, or they're too full of themselves, or they chew too loudly. And no matter how insufferable they seem to you, the Lord continues to bring that person into your line of vision. You know, truthfully, I have an individual like this in my life, someone that I would really rather not run into because they drive me crazy. I'll just say they drive me absolutely crazy. Yet it it doesn't seem to matter where I go in Jamestown. There they are. They're always there. In the craziest of places, it's like when they are the furthest thing from my mind, they just appear out of thin air. You know, friends, these scenarios are not random acts that are taking place, but are ones that are being orchestrated by our Savior to introduce this person to Jesus so that they too can come to saving faith and so that we can grow more into the person of Jesus Christ. You know, no matter what our mind and our emotions tell us, we're not better than these people. I think we view people that way. Either we view them as we're superior to them, we're on the same plane with them, or they're better than us. God doesn't somehow love them, and he doesn't somehow love us more than them. We aren't some upgraded version of that person that drives you crazy. You know, Jesus, he shed his blood, not just for us, but for them. And going back to my buddies, Brayden and Alex, again, I remember them sharing with me a friendship that they had made with a young man who identified as gay. You know, this young man was 
was really fearful that they as Christians, especially evangelical Christians, would hate him for being gay. But just the opposite happened. They, they worked especially hard to include him in their regular activities. Not because of pressure coming from our culture, but because they desired to show this young man God's kindness, which leads away from the sin of homosexuality toward restoration in and through Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to put into practice the commands that we have heard from the beginning, which Jesus gives us in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, neither Jesus nor John here are are speaking of legalism to the commands of the Father, where somehow our salvation is determined by our strict obedience to these commands. No, rather, he, he is encouraging them to serve one another to the point where you are walking in step with his word. You see, you can never love or serve someone enough to the point where you save yourself. Rather, a genuine transformation of the heart by God's spirit leads to a genuine love for others that causes us to joyfully make sacrifices for the good of the other person. See, law and love are not incompatible. They involve each other. In verses 7 through 11, as we keep making our way through the text, uh, John kind of includes what he was talking about before, but sort of extends on that, um, where he, he issues the warning of beware of deceivers. Beware of deceivers. And John addresses the arrival of false teachers and the negative impact that they make on the community of faith. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now in Mark chapter 13, Jesus, he warns his readers about this very thing. He warns about false prophets who would attempt to deceive believers, and that is exactly what we find taking place here in John's letter to this local congregation. False teachers who posed as traveling missionaries were taking advantage of believers' hospitality. These false prophets were were peddling a false gospel. And with their false credentials were masquerading as ministers of the word in order to obtain money or free board or lodging. You see, John was glad to know that the church was walking in the truth because he feared that they would be corrupted by the false faith that was being spewed by these deceivers. Earlier this week as I was checking the mail, go figure, I was checking the mail, I, I saw a flyer for an evangelism event coming to Jamestown. Did any of you see this flyer? Okay. Yep, so some of us saw it. Now, I don't know about you, but my, my skepticism immediately shot off the charts as I began looking for a reference to, I was like, okay, this is either a Jehovah Witness thing or this is uh, uh, something from the Mormon church. And as I turned the fly over, having already made up my mind that I was going to be throwing in the trash, um, I noticed that the speaker had the letters MDiv, Master of Divinity, behind his name, which is an indicator that the man had some sort of theological education. However, um, as I'm sure several of you, especially your leadership, can attest to, that no two masters of divinity are the same. Uh, and it really depends on the school from which that person obtained the degree. Um, 
that speaks into not only the way that they view God, but the way that they teach others to view him. You see, friends, do your homework on your pastors or on evangelists and Christian speakers before adhering to their teaching and encouraging others to do the same. See, many of these false teachers, both past and present, are gifted speakers who have crafted their deception so well that they that at face value they appear to be humble and upright, but in reality they are not representing the kingdom of God, but rather the kingdom of Satan. In Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul describes false teachers this way. He says that they are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I mean, who would want to listen to someone like that? Why would we even consider listening to what they have to say? You see, folks, these people are welcoming Christ's church. We want them in our churches, but they are not welcome behind the pulpit. They're not welcome behind God's pulpit. You know, having a strong online presence or letters behind a name and good references doesn't make someone qualified to teach God's word. So what does qualify someone to teach God's people? Well, John gives us that answer. He says that it must be someone that confesses the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Genuine Christians, genuine Christian teachers can be recognized by both the message that they bring and their motivation for doing so. If they are faithful in their proclamation of Jesus Christ, and if they are not preaching to make money or a name for themselves, then they should be received by fellow believers and supported in their ministry. This warning continues on in verse 8, where John tells believers to watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. See, John is not speaking about the idea of losing your salvation. That's not, not what he's saying because saving faith is not something that can be won or lost. Rather, what John is saying is that embracing false doctrine as God's truth not only hinders the work of God's Spirit through us, but can keep us from receiving that what has been promised to us. So hear me clearly. I'm not saying that God is choosing to take away his promises, but rather we are actively running away from the promises that he has for us. Okay, so I have, this is a really deep and thoughtful analogy for you, so, so stick with me on this one, okay? Stick with me if you're able. So you know how on the show, can't even get it out, how on the show, the Looney Tunes? It's really deep, stay with me. You remember Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner? That came out in like 1966, which is crazy. But Wile E. Coyote is always chasing the roadrunner, but never catches him, right? You know, just when Wile E. is closing the gap, the roadrunner comes to the screeching halt and he turns an arrowed sign around, which is facing directly towards a tunnel that is like painted on a rock. And then, of course, we know what happens. Wile E. smacks right into the rock while moving at full speed. You know, there's always false teachers, friends, that are, some of them are labeled as Christians, some that are not. 
some that are labeled as self-help gurus that are always turning that sign on us. That sign which leads further away from the reward that Christ has for us and closer to destruction. You know, we're bombarded with information just constantly that promises a better life. But if that information does not walk hand in hand with the teaching of Jesus, then we need to deposit it in the nearest dumpster. Now, Sarah and I went to seminary with a couple, uh, with a married couple who quickly became uh, our friends. And we had a similar upbringing, uh, an understanding of God and the mission to which he's called us. And it was with a lot of shock and with a lot of sadness when we learned that that couple, uh, a few years post-graduation, had embraced a lifestyle that stands directly in rebellion to God. Additionally, they were highly critical of their evangelical upbringing, and, and it begged us to ask the question, what in the world happened? Friends, they were deceived. They were deceived and they bought into a lie. They ran ahead of Jesus Christ. And John says that everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The verb go on ahead has been used by some wrongfully to show off their maturity. But when their beliefs progress beyond the gospel, their supposed maturity was actually a growth in the direction of immaturity. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, that these people are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And today's secular culture is no different in that it has fallen into this exact same trap. The Bible and those who believe in its inerrancy are ridiculed by the world. And if we are not firmly rooted in the truth of the gospel, we will give way to the shame and slander that is being thrown at us. You know, one of my greatest fears in life, here's some transparency, one of my greatest fears in life is to look like a fool. Like, I really, really do not looking like a fool, or feeling at least like I look like a fool. I want others to think that I'm competent, capable. And I'm, so I'm always feeling this pull to conform to whatever seems wisest in the eyes of whoever it is that I'm talking to, especially if that person has worldly wisdom. It's one of the greatest obstacles that I face as a Christian. But how does that contrast with the foolishness of the gospel? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly. Folly is foolishness. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, friends, people who reject the truth of Jesus Christ is that they cannot have a true relationship with God. If they reject the truth of Jesus Christ, they do not have a relationship with God. And if we don't know Jesus, we can't possibly know his Father. It's why John says that whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You cannot get to God without first going through his Son, Jesus. And this brings us to verses 10 and 11 where the Apostle John writes, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. 
You know, when the opportunity presents itself, and some of you may know this about me, I really enjoy providing pulpit supply for some of our rural area churches, being able to bring the encouragement of the gospel to believers worshiping without a consistent shepherd is something that brings me a lot of joy. I just really like doing it. And truth is that there are a lot of churches in our area that do rely on pulpit supply uh, preachers week in and week out. And the unfortunate reality is that for some of these churches, the most important criteria isn't that the gospel is being preached, but that there is actually a warm body up front saying something. You know, during this time that, the, that this letter was written from John to this local congregation, the countryside would have been littered with churches that depended on traveling preachers to bring the good news of the gospel, who in return depended on that local congregation uh, for uh, essentially to meet their basic needs. And in these two verses, John makes it abundantly clear that churches who are not hospitable towards those peddling a false message are He makes it abundantly clear that churches are not to be hospitable towards those peddling a false message and even goes as far as to say that they should not even greet these false teachers. Now, for some of us, this act of not greeting someone sounds harsh. God says it's not. If a false teacher infiltrates the church and influences even a portion of the congregation, the results are disastrous. If we, collectively, the church, welcome a false teacher, we automatically express solidarity with that individual, even if we disagree with their teaching. And when this happens, when we welcome them, John writes that we take part in their wicked ways. You know, friends, this is one reason why Buffalo City Church has elders. It's to protect the people, to protect us from those who would lead us away from the truth of Jesus into heresy. And I think it's important to note that John is not telling believers to slam the door on people of different faiths that come to our front door. That's not, that's not what John is saying here at all. Because we want to welcome those individuals so that they can hear and they can see the gospel being modeled through the love and care that we offer them. But folks, what John is saying, and what I'm so convinced of that, is that we as Christians must be more firm in our rejection of those who preach any message that is contrary to the one that Jesus gave us. You know, we pride ourselves in being North Dakota nice, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, but if being nice or keeping the peace means that we encourage and help others spread lies about our Savior, then we have to repent and we have to turn from that sin. You know, like my friends Braden and Alex demonstrated so well, We do not condone or support the sins of another, but we joyfully and we fervently pursue them with this life-changing message of the gospel. John rejoiced greatly when he encountered others who were walking in the truth because he knew full well, he was convinced of this, that, that their walking in the truth made the Father rejoice. Buffalo City Church, keep walking according to the Father's commandments that you have heard from the beginning. Beware of deceivers who make empty promises and who make empty threats to lure us away from that truth. Stand firm in your convictions and do not take a backseat to false teaching, creeping in and causing corruption. I'll end with this. 
continue to love one another. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. It's what Jesus did for us, and it's what his Father calls us, his church, to do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Apostle John. Thank you for the way that he didn't just talk the talk, but walk the walk of the truth of the Father's commandments. Lord, would you continue to use Buffalo City Church as they have done so well to to love and care for one another and to proclaim the truth of you, Jesus? Um, Father, for uh, forgive us for when we fail to do the mission that you've given us to do. God, would you protect our church? Would you protect other tr- other churches that uh, that are preaching the truth of your word, God, from being infiltrated by the evil one? Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Would you bless them? Continue to use them to make your name known. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.